Greetings from uh, the MBC family in Minden. <laughs> we uh, redid our directory last uh, summer, and uh, there's a little over 100 folks that uh, agreed in covenant uh, with us that we call the MBC family. Uh, covenant meeting, uh, we have a covenant that says that uh, this is what it means to love God, this is what it means to love one another, and this is what it means to love the community. So we, we have a happy family, but we have a chunk that's missing in the family, and the chunk that's missing is young families. Uh, we attract uh, cottagers and we attract that age group, but uh, for whatever reason, we do not attract uh, younger families, and so We've been talking about that, and I've really had a burden for that, especially in the last number of months. And so um, I really sensed the person to talk to was Pastor Paul. So I called Pastor Paul, and we uh, got together, had a coffee, and I said, uh, we really need an infusion of young families if we're going to reach the community. And uh, if we could be kingdom-focused, I really think we could do a partnership. Uh, I want to say that your pastor was marvelous. It was marvelous. And uh, so we agreed in the mission. And uh, so leaders from both the churches have been getting together, talking together, praying together. And uh, I'm excited to see what the Lord's going to do. I don't, I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know all the details. But I used to have a mentor used to say to me, David, he's just as excited to tell you as you are to hear. <laughs> Isn't that a great line? And... Uh, so there's no doubt he knows. Take your Bibles and turn to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 10. Pastor Paul is preaching uh, from uh, John this morning. We've been uh, in John this summer, and uh, we've only been 15 weeks, and we're already past, just finished up John chapter 7, so we're moving right along. So I'm jumping ahead to John chapter 10 this morning. And in John chapter 10, as you come to John chapter 10, notice in verse 6 says, Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Let me just say this. Jesus loved telling stories. I love the way he told stories. But he didn't tell simple stories. He told profound stories. And the meaning in those stories is profound. For example, Coming to chapter 10, you know what the profound thing about chapter 10 is? It follows chapter 9. Isn't that profound? <laughs> now in chapter 9, just to bring you back there, in chapter 9, a fellow was born blind. And so he comes along and Jesus sees him and there's a, a debate going on about why he's blind. Jesus heals him. And then Jesus sort of disappears from the scene and you got these religious elite the Pharisees, and Judaism. And they want to know, well, who in the world healed you? I mean, people don't get healed from blindness. Nobody uh, can give sight to somebody. Who did this? And the fellow said, oh, I have no idea who did it. And they keep questioning him, keep questioning him. And finally he kind of says, you know, like, all I know is I was blind and now I can see and I don't like what I'm seeing. And they kick him out of Judaism. So he gets kicked out of Judaism. It's good to remember that. Because when you come to chapter 10, chapter 9 ends by saying Jesus found him. 
So, same day, same events, same people. You got the religious elite, they're there. You've got this formerly blind man, he's there. The disciples, they're there. And then Jesus says, now, I want to tell you about the good shepherd. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning, the good shepherd, Father. May our hearts be open. May our minds be receptive. May your spirit speak this morning. Encourage us from your word, Lord, I ask. Hide me behind the cross. And may you speak and may we hear you speak, Jesus. For it's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen. When you come to this passage, Judaism has provided a system. It's a system whereby God's people uh, would be kept in sort of a, in a fence, if you will, in a hedge, if you will. In fact, the sages used to say, used to call the law the fence because the law kept good people in and not so good people out. And so they called the law the fence. And so Judaism uh, was kept, certainly kept uh, the people of God for a long time. But now as you're coming along in the New Testament, that era has changed. The Messiah has come. It's a new day. And he's going to address that in this chapter. And so the shepherd is going to call his sheep out. And as I mentioned, the leaders are there. The disciples are there. This man that now can see is there. And Jesus then begins, and he begins to tell them a story. Now, in our world, which is no longer an agricultural world, we don't know a lot about shepherding. Now, how many people grew up with sheep? All right, there's a few of us. There's a few of us. If you grew up with sheep, I hate when a preacher calls them dumb, don't you? And they do. I hate that. Um, well, maybe one reason is because we're his sheep, and who wants to be called dumb, right? But uh, when you come to this passage, commentators, that's people that, you know, write about Scripture. I like to say that all taters aren't common. But um, commentators, when they write about this, they talk about two sheep pens. One was in the village, and we'll see that in the first verses. One was in the countryside, we'll see that in the following verses. Now, when you come to a sheep pen in the village, you would bring your sheep along, and uh, there would be this uh, tall fenced area. There would be an entranceway, and you would bring your sheep into this communal area. So I would bring my sheep in, uh, Mark's uh, sheep's going to come in, uh, Graham's sheep are going to come in, uh, Jim's sheep are going to come in, and they all go into the same pen. We would hire a porter, a watchman, and uh, that watchman would watch those sheep at night so that the shepherd could go and get a good night's sleep. And so those sheep would all be in that pen together, and uh, as they go into that pen, the shepherd would have a rod. He would hold that rod, and the sheep would have to go under the rod. And in doing so, the shepherd would check the sheep, make sure there wasn't any wounds on the sheep. There might be a wool matted that he would need to give attention to. And so the sheep come into the sheep pen, and there they spend the night. Now, the shepherd's going to come out in the morning. Now, how in the world they didn't have tattoos... They didn't have ear tags. How in the world are you going to get your sheep when they're all mixed up together? 
how they did it was, we all have a voice. It's sort of like when you call your pet. You probably have a name for your pet. We have a dog, we call him Harley. Did anybody ever call the dog Honda? <laughs> somebody out there saying, preach it, brother, and somebody saying, he's a heretic. <clears throat> but you would come and you would, with your voice, you know, isn't it funny how people call pets and talk to pets? they got a totally different language than talk to pets. Nobody says, hey, Mac. So, oh, Mackie, 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 Mackie. <laughs> you have a different language. So I don't know how they did it with Ma, you know. Come on, boys. Come on, girls. Come on, come on, girls. And the sheep know the shepherd's voice. And so your sheep would come out and on you would lead them. And uh, the next shepherd's sheep, would uh, he would call. And that's how the sheep would come out of the village and head to the pasture. Now, let's pick it up in verse 1. I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs by in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. A thief steals by means of a plan. A robber, he adds violence to it. But the man who enters the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Again, Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Now, immediately in this passage, we're introduced to the opponents. These opponents, one's called a thief, one's called a robber. Now, if you come along and you were a thief or a robber in that day, you would have to climb over the fence because the port of the watchman's not going to let you in the gate. So if they climbed over the fence to go in and to steal one of the sheep, the sheep aren't willing because they don't recognize the stranger's voice. And so what they would do is they would often slit the sheep's throat because they want the wool, throw the sheep over the fence, they would sell the wool, and they would eat the lamb. That's what they would do. Now, the setting when Jesus is saying this, remember the Feast of Tabernacles has just taken place. You remember, during the Feast of Tabernacles, it was fun to go to church because you would leave your house, and you would have this Boy Scout hut, but it didn't have a canvas. It had branches on the top, and the branches had to be... uh, open enough that you could see the stars at night. So your kids would say, Dad, how come we're out here? And then you would tell them about how that God led our forefathers through the wilderness. And uh, so you would play games together. Church was fun. Now, Jesus is down there at the Feast of Tabernacles. Up on that Sermon Mount is some 35 acres. There's two porches up there. One's the royal porch, one's Solomon's porch. And Solomon's porch extends all the way across the east side. Now, people would gather under the porch for comfort from the sun. Rabbis would go in there and they would uh, have a conversation with a group of people. Jesus and his disciples go under either the royal porch or Solomon's porch. And he's teaching the people as he's in there. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles is over. 
and Jesus is going to exit, and if he was under Solomon's porch, which was on the east side and extended all the way across the east side, he would have exited out the northeast corner. That's nice to think about because that was called the Sheep Gate. If you go there today, they changed the name. It's called the Lion's Gate or St. Stephen's Gate. For years, outside that gate, on Fridays, was a sheep market. And there was acres and acres of sheep where they were bought and sold there. And you would pick up a cent of that as soon as you got in the area. And uh, that, that was just outside the sheep gate. Many folks have been around for a long time and would still call it the sheep gate. So if Jesus goes out there, he then says, notice again in verse 3, he says, now the watchman opens the gate. The sheep listen to the shepherd's voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. Isn't that a great thing? By the way, people come along and they take this passage and what does it mean? Some would say, well, he's talking about heaven. I don't think there's thieves and robbers in heaven. That kind of ruins my idea of heaven, doesn't it, yours? I think it's talking about Judaism. But in, in this, he's talking to us about salvation. And as he's talking about salvation, isn't it a wonderful thing to know that our names are written down in the Lamb's Book of Life? Your name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life if you're one of his. Isn't that a great comfort to know that? And by the way, it's not written in pencil. You don't have to worry about an eraser. It is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and it is there for all of eternity. Now, <coughs> he says, the sheep know my voice. And uh, by the way, I heard this great story that in Australia, this guy gets arrested for stealing sheep. And uh, he claimed uh, total innocence. He said, these are my own sheep. I never stole sheep. So they go to court. And in court, the plaintiff is questioned, the defendant is questioned, and there's total confusion. So finally, the judge says, I'm going to call the last witness. And he asked the sheep to be brought into the courtroom. So the sheep come into the courtroom. And when the sheep come in, he said to the plaintiff, now leave the doors of the chamber open. You go out into the hallway. And when he went out in the hallway, he said, now you call the sheep. He did so. Sheep never moved. And then he said to the defendant, now you go out into the hallway. Leave the doors of the chamber open. You call the sheep. When he called the sheep, all the sheep turned and they went out. To the defendant, he said, case closed. The sheep know the voice of their shepherd. And so he says to us again here about our relationship in verse 4 and 6, because it's such a beautiful relationship he gives us all through Scripture from beginning to end, the shepherd and the sheep. When he brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them. Notice he doesn't drive them. He leads them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Now, they'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll turn away from him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. If you're a true believer, you're not going to head off following some false doctrine because you know that's a strange voice. You know his voice. Then in verse, let me ask, first of all, how many people here are pet owners? Okay. Do not raise your hand on the next question. There are good pet owners, and there are bad pet owners. If you live in a residential area, you can't stand it. If some guy down the street there has got a dog in the backyard, and you wonder, does he ever exercise that dog? 
Does he ever invite the dog in the house? All the dog does is sit out there in the backyard and bark, 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 and drive all of us crazy. That's a bad pet owner. And then there are extreme pet owners. The pet's got his own little jacket. The pet goes everywhere with them, rides on the lap in the car. I mean, goes to the motel with them, goes everywhere with them. Do you remember David the psalmist? David, in the great shepherd psalm, started bragging about his shepherd. By the way, if you had to choose, if you were the pet, and you had to choose between the pet owner, who are you going to choose? A, the good one, B, the bad one, or C, the extreme one? I'm going with C. <laughs> David said, the Lord is my shepherd. And I shall not want, I'm not going to lack for anything He does this, and he does this, and he does this, and he does this. David said, that's the kind of a shepherd I have, and we can say the same thing, amen? Amen. And so, Jesus comes in verse 7, and he says, Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. I am the door for the sheep. He's talked about the shepherd. Now he talks about the door for the sheep or the gate. All who ever come before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door, and whoever enters through me will be saved. He'll come in and out, find pasture. The thief comes only to follow a stranger. In fact, they'll turn away from him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. If you're a true believer, you're not going to head off following some false doctrine because you know that's a strange voice. You know his voice. Then in verse, let me ask, first of all, how many people here are pet owners? Okay. Do not raise your hand on the next question. There are good pet owners, and there are bad pet owners. If you live in a residential area, you can't stand it. If some guy down the street there has got a dog in the backyard and you wonder, does he ever exercise that dog? Does he ever invite the dog in the house? All the dog does is sit out there in the backyard and bark, 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 bark and drive all of us crazy. That's a bad pet owner. And then there are extreme pet owners. The pet's got his own little jacket. The pet goes everywhere with them, rides on the lap in the car. I mean, goes to the motel with them, goes everywhere with them. Do you remember David the psalmist? David, in the great shepherd psalm, started bragging about his shepherd. By the way, if you had to choose, if you were the pet, and you had to choose between the pet owner, who are you going to choose? A, the good one, B, the bad one, or C, the extreme one? I'm going with C. (laughs) David said, the Lord is my shepherd. And I shall not want, I'm not going to lack for anything. He does this, and he does this, and he does this, and he does this. David said, that's the kind of a shepherd I have, and we can say the same thing. Amen? Amen. And so, Jesus comes in verse 7, and he says, Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. I am the door for the sheep. He's talked about the shepherd. Now he talks about the door for the sheep or the gate. All who ever come before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. 
I am the door. And whoever enters through me will be saved. He'll come in and out, find pasture. The, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. Wow. Now we've moved from the sheepfold in the village to the sheepfold in the countryside. Shepherding in the countryside in Israel, and certainly in the center part of Israel, there's this large, long plateau. And from uh, Bethel to Hebron, you're looking at a plateau of 35 miles long by 17 miles wide, and on the sides, you got precipices, you got cliffs and so on, all kinds of places for the sheep to get into trouble. Now, they would build using a stone fence, a little enclosed area. And they would bring the sheep into that enclosed area, but there would not be a gate there. And you might ask the shepherd, well, where's the door? And the shepherd would say, I'm the door. I lay across the door. There's no sheep going to get out of here without going across me. And there's no wolf that's going to come in without going across me. You know, our saying, uh, uh, you know, Across my dead body? Well, I guess that would sort of be the case here. So the shepherd says here now, I am the door. And so no sheep leaves, no wolf enters. Safety and protection which always come due to proximity. Now it's interesting, he says, I am the door. And he contrasts two styles of life there when he says this. The thief comes... But this is why he comes, to steal, to kill, and destroy. Verse 10 says, this is why Jesus came. He says, I come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly or that you might live life to the hilt. Are you living life to the hilt? That's an interesting question. Jesus says, I come that you might have life, but not just ordinary life. I come that you might live life to the extreme. Even if you're going through a difficult time, whether that's medical, financial, whatever, relational, whatever that might be, even when you're going through that, you're not going through it alone, amen? Because you're going through it with the Lord, even in those times. You're living life abundantly. Now, let me just say something about that. God has a plan for our life. God has a plan for our life the Old Testament says it through Jeremiah this way. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And then you'll call upon me and pray to me and I will listen to you. God has a wonderful plan for your life. Do you believe that? God has a wonderful plan for your life. But Satan has a plan for your life as well. Sometimes we don't think about that. He has a plan for your life. First of all, he hates you. And second of all, he wants to make you miserable. He wants to make you miserable by removing your testimony, removing your effectiveness. That's what he wants to do for us because he's the father of stealing and destroying and killing. And so we have a choice. Some people will say, but, but you know, this here is so much fun and you guys don't have any fun. Scripture says the pleasures of sin are for a season. Short-term pleasure for long-term pain. 
short-term pleasure for long-term pain. Now, your choice is that. By the way, I've been at this a long time. I have never met a person at the end of life that ever said, well, I sure wish I had sinned more. I wish I'd have had more relationships. I wish I'd have had more addictions in my life. I've never heard anybody talk that way. I've heard lots of people say, I wish I'd have never had anything to do with that life. And I wish I'd have followed the Lord a lot sooner in life for a lot longer in life. That I've heard, but I've never heard the other. Now, he says, I've come to give you life and to give you life more abundantly. Now, in these segments, it's interesting. The first segment, the enemies are the thieves and the robbers. The support is, he said, I'm the shepherd. Second segment, verses 7 through 10, again, you have the thieves and robbers. The support is, I'm the door. The third segment, which we pick up in verse 11, you have now the enemy is the wolf. He's the hired man. And the support is the good shepherd. Notice what it says. I am the good shepherd, and the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. I don't have anything invested. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. And the man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Wow. I lay down my life for Huper, in place of, instead of. It's from where we get what we call in doctrine substitutionary death. Remember David was being interviewed by King Saul? And in the interview, David said, oh, by the way, I'm pretty good with a slingshot and a stone. And, uh, oh, and by the way, another thing is, you know, there's been times when I've been shepherding that... Uh, you know, uh, a bear came one time, grabbed a lamb, and a lion came one time, and, uh, and he said, I want you to know that I chased those puppies down and got those lambs back again. Now, shepherding in that day was a tiresome job. It was a risky job. It was a weather-beaten job. And that's why you would see the shepherd leaning on his staff. There was a lot involved in shepherding in we come along to this, Jesus says this, I'm the good shepherd. And I'm the good shepherd, I'm the one that laid down my life, not just at the door, I was the door. And I went to the cross to lay down my life for my sheep. And he lays that out for us there. And as he lays that out for us there, notice the fourth segment, let me pick it up again in verse 14. He says, now I'm the good shepherd and I know my sheep and my sheep know me. By the way, that's a good question to ask. What's the Lord been saying to you lately? Because he says, he says, I'm the shepherd, you're the sheep. When I speak, you hear my voice. So that would tell me if I'm his sheep, I'm going to know when he's talking. Amen. And I'm going to know what he's saying to me. I may not understand it all, but I know the area of my life that he's talking to me about. And he reminds us of that there. And then let's pick it up again, verse 15. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, 
I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. Let me just stop there. I have the power to lay it down. That wasn't a tragedy. That was a strategy. And I have the power to take it up. That's the resurrection he's talking about. Now, what is Jesus saying? Because he talks about, I have other sheep. To Judaism, he's saying this. The Father draws us. By the way, people will say, well, you know, I found the Lord. The Lord wasn't the one lost. He's the one that found us and drew us to him. Nobody came to the Father, but by, first of all, the Father didn't draw us. Didn't draw us. We have our responsibility. But he's the one that drew us so that we would respond to him. And so, as he draws us, Judaism, God is drawing those out of Judaism. And he certainly knows who they are. But scripture says that then, remember in Acts, he says, now I want you to go out. I want you to go out from Jerusalem. I want you to go to Judea. I want you to go to Samaria. And I want you to go to the uttermost parts of the world. Now starting in Jerusalem, and us being here in Halliburton, we kind of qualify for the uttermost part of the world, wouldn't you say? Compared to Jerusalem. So we're part of the sheep. Why? Because, he says, I have other sheep also, and that's going to be the Gentile sheep. That's 99.9% of us, the other sheep. And he says, but there's only going to be one flock, and there's only going to be one shepherd, meaning we're all going to be in one family together called the family of God, the fold of God, and there's only going to be one shepherd, and that's the Lord himself. And that's what he's talking about here. And so he's saying that uh, I'm going to be bringing out of Judaism those, the redeemed of the Lord. I'm going to bring out of the Gentiles the redeemed of the Lord. And I'm going to bring all of these together. Now, the Jews believe there's only two types of people. They believe there was the Jews and the rest of the people. And in believing of that, they believe that the Jews were going to heaven... By bloodline, that would be Abraham. And by the law, that would be Moses. So by the law, they're going to get to heaven. And by bloodline, they're going to get to heaven. They believe that the rest, being us, the Gentiles, we have no hope. In fact, if you were a, back in this day, 2,000 years ago, if you were a, a, a traditional Jew, one of the prayers you would pray as a male traditional Jew in the morning, you would say, oh God, I thank you that I'm not a slave, I'm not a Gentile, and I'm not a woman. Hmm. Hmm. That's what they would pray. So the Gentiles, to them, there wasn't much hope at all. That's why they had in the temple area in that day, you remember you've read of the courts. The first court you come to was a Gentile court. And there was a sign that you would not go beyond the Gentile court if you were a Gentile because the sign would say that that could cost you your life. Now, Jesus took all those barriers down. 
He took all of those barriers down so that there might be one flock, there might be one shepherd, and that there might be one family. Now, he says he laid down his life willingly, and he did so knowing that he also would raise up his life. Now, let's think about that for a moment. What in the world is he talking about? Verse 18, he says this, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. There's a principle here. And the principle is this. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. All through John, he's been saying, everyone the Father gives me, I keep. All through John, he's been saying, the Father draws them. Here in this passage, he's talking about... I'm the shepherd, and so I'm going to lead, and they're going to follow me. Now, he says, now, I'm going to lay down my life, meaning I'm going to go to the cross. And at the cross, I'm going to lay down my life for the sheep of my fold. And then he says, but not only am I going to lay it down, I'm going to take it up again, resurrection, Easter Sunday morning. That's why we celebrate Easter, amen? Because of that's the greatest hope in the Christian life is that as he was resurrected, we'll be resurrected as well. But you might be a bit of a Bible student and you're getting ahead of me now and you're saying, well, wait a minute now. Wait a minute now. He also ascended. I mean, he went up and said, Baba. And he was ascended into the heavens and he was gone. That's true. But remember what he said? He said, I'm going to send you another comforter, one just like me, called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's going to come and going to indwell you. So the Holy Spirit lives within us. Not only does the Holy Spirit live within us, well, if Jesus ascended up to heaven, what's he doing? Hebrews chapter 7 says that he's always interceding on our behalf. Let me tell you some great news. I prayed for you this week. Prayed for you this morning. Now, you might say, well, that was nice. That's nothing compared to what I'm about to tell you. Jesus has been praying for you this week. And Jesus has been praying for you this morning, and he's praying for you and I right now. Isn't it amazing to think about it? Jesus is in heaven. And he's interceding on our behalf before the Father, praying for you and I and interceding on our behalf. Whatever our needs are, when we tell Jesus, he tells the Father, he intercedes on our behalf. He says, now, I have the power to lay down my life, but I also have the power to take it up. And I'm going to go on up to heaven. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And I'm going to be up there. And I'm always going to be on call for you to intercede on your behalf before the Father. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful news? That's our good shepherd. And he says, I am the good shepherd. Later he'll say, I am the great shepherd. And later he'll say, I am the chief shepherd. And so when we talk about a shepherd, we're his sheep. Oh, we're prone to wonder. We're prone to wonder. We're prone to go astray. But he's the good shepherd that always brings us back into the flock, that leads us. And one day we'll spend all of eternity with him. Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word this morning. 
May it encourage our hearts and strengthen our faith, I pray. In the wonderful name of Jesus, amen.